Welcome. Yes, I've started Audacity up. I feel like the king of the world. <laughs> Watch me it. achieve! I, that is the um, extent of my achievements today, actually, so far. So well, you I must have been taking impressed. it easy all day. Um, yes. No, well, I don't really know. My head's not working properly. My brain hurts. My brain is not good. Uh, I just uh, thought of something else as well. Uh, childhood. Fears. Um, sorry, just writing. Fear of the dark. Nuclear <laughs> war. <laughs> I suppose with um, with more preparation, we could talk about why why man desired to fly in the first place. But um, I guess we'll just have to make this more about our little first world problems than about the history <laughs> the history of flight. Unanswered. Okay, so recently I was on a flight to Jersey from Southampton Airport, and I've never flown from Southampton Airport before. That was interesting because it's just down the road from here. But it's uh, all of these little local airports have opened opened up the world in so much as they've opened up parts of the world, very specific parts of the world that flights go to from our local airport here. But yeah, so we were going to Jersey for a friend of ours' wedding, and it was very, it was very exciting. And I kind of guessed that it wasn't going to be a particularly big aeroplane because we flew, we flew with an airline that specifically does these little. It's like a bus service from the mainland to Jersey. I kind of guessed that the plane wouldn't be that big, but what I what I wasn't expecting was quite how small the plane was. Yeah, it, it was very peculiar because we got driven out. We were on a little bus service from the terminal, and we went out to the planes. And we went past these quite big jets, but even those were smaller than ones I'd seen at, at Gatwick and Heathrow and places like that. So I thought, oh, maybe that's what they mean by a small plane. And then they pulled round to this plane that was as long as the bus that we were in. <laughs> <laughs> and um and i thought oh this is this is quite exciting i really wasn't expecting this and i didn't really it was quite dark when we were going out there so i didn't really register the outside of it that much we we went in and the aisles were only three seats wide there were two seats on one side and then an, another seat on the other mm -hmm. and there were only about 12 aisles the steward or whatever you'd call him i don't know what you'd call him asked that we all put our hand luggage in the back there was like a cupboard at the back of the plane yeah which kind of re rendered hand luggage a bit redundant because it became very clear that we weren't going to be able to just wander up and down and go to a hand luggage it was just going to be there we weren't going to have any of that stuff and so we sat down and that's when i looked out at the wing and realised that it had propellers. This plane had propellers. And I didn't even realise, I think, that commercial planes still had propellers. For some reason, I just... I'd never, ever seen a plane with a propeller before. It was perplexing to me. Sadly, they haven't marketised reindeer uh, dust quite yet, so propellers are still required. Still required in some cases. I don't know why I thought... I guess because I hadn't quite caught up with the fact that we were going to be in this quite small plane yet it hadn't occurred to me that they even really had planes this small in active service for normal people. I knew that, like, people who have their little two-seater planes that they that they fly around for fun, 
that they still had propellers, but I just assumed that all the commercial ones had jets. So it was very perplexing for me. And my wife was taking all this on board because she used to live on the Isles of Scilly or the Scilly Isles or whatever you're supposed to call them. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as I can gather, they used to have a helicopter ride every time they came to the mainland. So this was kind of, she was just taking this all in her stride. She was fine with this. But I, I was utterly perplexed and delighted. And then the uh, steward who had helped us get on board and get our bags put away went to the front of the plane and started going through the the safety stuff that they normally go. There's normally a video. But this guy was doing, was going through this in front of the open, the open door to the cockpit. And then after he'd finished all of that, he said, now I know some of you have been on, I know some of you are regulars. There is going to be a little bit of rough weather over the channel. Uh, we'll try and, we'll try and, um, you know, make it as comfortable as possible, but it might be a little bit choppy. I'm not actually flying this flight. I'm the captain of this flight. The pilot, the pilot's right here. And that's when I realized. <laughs> that the guy who was taking us through the safety was also one of the two pilots. <laughs> and then he kind of said, uh, OK, so we'll be getting off now. We should be leaving in the next couple of minutes. Climbed into the cockpit. And that's when I realised that there wasn't actually a door to the cockpit. It was literally just right there in front of us. And all of this was incredibly alien to me, Steve. I don't mind admitting. It's very strange. It's very, I mean, you still go through all the same security and stuff, but it's just all so much more casual. Mm. And I, I guess there are lots of people like this on longer haul, bigger planes, who are just very casual and are just tr sitting there trying to read their paper and stuff. But they were like people who are obviously just come to the mainland for work or something and were just going back. It was all very chilled out and casual. It was quite perplexing. I loved every second of this experience because I just thought this was amazing, uh, a complete novelty for me. And then we took off, and I really like takeoff. It's probably my favourite bit. And then over the channel... And bear in mind, it was very dark. It was it was about seven or eight o'clock at night, and it was very dark. So it was very difficult to get one's bearings. Yeah, um, we hit the really bad weather, and suddenly it became like the most erratic roller coaster I've ever imagined being on. Because I don't like roller coasters very much. And then suddenly, what my entire flight became about was how very very nauseous I suddenly <laughs> felt. This was quite weird for me as well because my ears sometimes pop to the extent that it causes me quite a lot of pain. Yep. And I've been in turbulence before, but I've never felt quite so buffeted about and quite so gross. I've never actually been airsick before. There was the added issue that, uh, as far as I was concerned, I was on a plane with a bunch of people who this was just a normal trip for, and I, I was exposing myself as a complete um, noob. <laughs> Lol. Lols, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the abbreviation for rolling on the floor, throwing up would be. <laughs> so there was all that. There was the fear that because this was quite a casual little flight, there might not be a, an air sick bag. And then I'd never been sick in a sick bag before. And there, so there was all that. And uh, the thing I was oblivious to the whole time that I was trying bravely to fight this battle that uh, I'll spoiler warning, I lost <laughs> just as we were approaching the runway was that apparently it was quite a nerve-wracking flight for everyone. Personally, the whole time this was going on, I was thinking, damn it, I really, really wanted to take in all of this. I'm in a small plane, it's taking off, it's going to be landing, it's all really exciting, it's all very, it all feels very fra fragile and nerve-wracking, and I'm concentrating on not throwing up, and I'm, I'm doing such a bad job of it that I am going to ultimately throw up. It didn't occur to me that I was possibly the least nervous person on, on the whole flight. Because apparently we hit really bad weather. 
worse than usual to the extent that the pilots actually commented on it afterwards and they don't normally comment on it unless it's been quite bad tangentially the people who were going over to the island on the ferry which is something like a two hour or three hour journey also hit really really bad conditions and we might circle back to this but i think at least one person was on the ferry because they were scared of flying and they ended up in far worse conditions but for far longer than we did on the plane so yeah and then we landed i was quite gutted that i had exposed myself in front of all those people by being sick i didn't realize that most of them hadn't noticed I was embarrassed that I'd made myself look a fool in front of my wife because she has never seen me look a fool at all. It's uh, She's never seen me in moments of weakness or humiliating myself at all. That just hasn't ever happened, Steve. I can believe that. And yeah, yeah, that was my time in a... my first time in a small aeroplane. Luckily, on the way back, the conditions were much better and it was lighter as well. So it was lovely and I got to properly enjoy it. But it was just interesting to me because the thing that I realised during the middle of this was I'm not even remotely scared of flying at all. It's just it just doesn't even occur to me. And I think there are reasons for that. It's just not a fear I have. Um, There was a lot of discomfort. Like I said, I was I was a little bit concerned that I was letting myself down. I was, um, I believe young people might say, mugging myself somewhat. <laughs> Is that something young people say? Um, I'm not young. I, I, I wouldn't even know. Well, you work in a university. Surely you probably hear it somewhere. Let's assume it's something that they say. I heard right. someone oh, say oh, it on proper a... proper mugging. I was proper mugging myself. Yeah. Um, I heard someone say it on a Streets song once, so I'm sure it's still oh, well, that, commonly yeah. used. Well, I mean, that's canon. Yeah. <laughs> It struck me as as weird and it made me think, it made me start thinking about why it is that some people who are generally far more capable and far more in control of themselves than I am are much more nervous about this process than I was and why it didn't bother me at all that we were in a very small plane, as far as I can tell, a very small and fragile plane over water going very very fast very very high up and (laughs) flying all over the place and i didn't have the slightest problem whereas i will not go anywhere near a roller coaster or a fairground ride i just don't like them your plane trip to jersey isn't a million miles away from a flight i had to amsterdam a few years ago which was in a similar plane the flight would have been of a similar length around about 40 odd minutes and the layout was exactly the same there were rows of two seats on one side rows of one seat on the other and uh, it was early to mid-evening flight. It was in February, so long evenings. And a very, very similar thing happened. I guess the only difference was we had uh, one stewardess who um, gave us all tea and a Kit Kat. Oh. Only a two-fingered, not a four-fingered Kit Kat. Obviously, that gives you an indication of the duration of the journey, if it was only worth yeah. a two-fingered Kit Kat. But it was a very, very similar deal where uh, the flight was going pretty swimmingly. I mean, it's nighttime, it's stuck outside, you can't see a great deal, that's fine. You're reading a book, doing whatever to pass the time. As soon as we hit Holland, the airspace above Holland, I should say, we didn't crash. As soon as we hit the airspace above Holland, that's when the turbulence started. There was uh, not torrential rain, but it was rainy conditions. And the whole time, from the moment we hit Dutch airspace to the time that we landed, it was turbulence all the way. Just There was just no let-up. This thing was shuddering and shaking. We had it over the radio. Oh, yeah, 
bit of turbulence, got some rough weather out there, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, but the, uh, the pilot, the captain wasn't necessarily concerned, but it was mm. just that everybody knew that this much turbulence was unusual to the point where when the plane finally landed, everybody applauded. <laughs> and uh, the pilot came on afterwards and said, yeah, yeah, thanks. You know, we were relieved to land. That was quite awkward, but, you know, we were okay now. I, you know, I've been in that sort of situation where the turbulence kind of, it's not just a little shudder. It kind of goes mm. on for a bit and you're wondering, oh, Christ, when's this going to stop? But didn't necessarily feel nauseous or anything. But there is this heightened state of, of awareness and, and of alertness of knowing, oh, God, something's wrong here. And, and um, both being sensitive to but also try not to pay too much attention to what's going on around you this sort of awareness that oh things are moving that isn't usual but at the same time going it's in a plane this happens all the time it's going to be fine um, and then very very quickly on the flip side of that on the the time that i have been to jersey one of the trips over was on the slow ferry the other was on the quicker service but the slow ferry was absolutely dreadful usually i'm fine on boats and stuff but there was mm. just something about this journey that again just choppy waters the conditions weren't great and oh my god i mean i didn't throw up but i felt so dreadful the whole journey i just wanted to lie down the whole time it's just like oh i don't want to i don't want to walk anywhere i don't want to look at anything i just want to sort of lie down or sit down and close my eyes and wait until this whole ordeal is done <laughs> and it feels like it's never going to be it just kind of stretches out in front of you doesn't it yeah the thing about it is, I kind of tried to explain this to some people around the time. And actually, turbulence turbulence isn't great because it's just so uncomfortable. That sort of thing is uncomfortable. And it's not really about fear, although it does make you wonder, well, is there something going wrong here a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that makes me less nervous about planes, and I'm not, it's not that I'm brave at all. I am scared of so many things. I, I have so many little things that I'm nervous of. I, I'm scared of the idea of pain. Being ill makes me feel really like it disproportionately bad compared to other people. I don't cope with it very well. But one thing that about planes that I've always felt is, well, it feels awesome. You're moving really fast and it's great. And if something goes wrong, in my head, I've always kind of thought, if something goes wrong, it's literally one of the most assured and immediate deaths you could possibly hope for. If you do plummet out of the sky, then you don't really, you're probably not going to get that much. I mean, you'll get a bit of time to think about it while the plane's going down. But the actual moment of pain and impact and stuff, that's not, this might be a bit morbid. I appreciate that, but the reason <laughs> the reason I'm thinking about it is because, conversely, the thought of being stuck on a boat that has problems like that absolutely horrifies me. It feels like you might stand a better chance of surviving, but you also stand a better chance of being stranded out in the water for hours and not getting rescued. You stand a pretty good chance of um, drowning in a really long and protracted and horrible way. I just... I don't get it. There's something about the certainty of being on a plane that I quite like. It's a very binary. I know normally we say that binary thinking isn't such a good thing, but it feels like there are two settings to a plane that's supposed to be in flight. It's either up in the air or it's crashed and you're probably dead. Or you end up on a, a mystical remote tropical island. Which I could live with because there's a very good chance that all of the people would be hot. Yeah. And there'd be lots of tin beans and stuff just sequestered in a cupboard somewhere, and, and it's all totally fine to eat. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that. That is actually almost my ideal third scenario, yeah. to be honest. And if all else fails, time travel. Yes. Yes, exactly. They're all bloody dead, aren't they? <laughs> I, I don't know if maybe that's why I'm not as nervous when it comes to getting on planes, because it can be paralysing for some people. 
And mm. it's interesting because you have to talk to people really most of the time to work out what it is they're most scared of. Yep. Interestingly, when you look at anything about the fear of flying online, you'll normally get a list of all of the different reasons that it scares people. And I know you've thought about this because we've already talked about it, but it's like fear of death is kind of at the back there. Yes. It's the big one that people are the most nervous of. But in general, that's the big thing that people are the most scared of in their lives. And I've always found that kind of interesting because it is literally the one thing that is definitely going to happen to every one of us at some point. Actually, I I think I'm almost less nervous about getting on a plane than I am about crossing the road most of the time because just going out of the house, there are any number of things that can get you and you might never know what they are. It could be some bus driver randomly not knowing what's uh, not paying enough attention. You could catch some bug that's just floating around from somewhere. A dog could eat you. That's yep. that's something that could happen. Uh, random hemorrhage. Yeah, yeah, random hemorrhage. That could get you. And, and you never know where it's going to come from. But when you're on a plane, it's pretty much all heading in one direction. You're all plummeting through the air in the same direction. There's you and, well, in this case about 14 or 18 other people or something like that. <laughs> and there's there's very little ambiguity to the situation. No, in fact, the, cer- the, the certainty of it should be quite comforting. If you step out of your door and there are a bajillion ways of meeting an untimely end, um, if you had that on your mind every, every time you, you left your home, bearing in mind that most accidents happen in the home because mm. you think you're being really clever doing some DIY and then all of a sudden you impale yourself with a saw or some scissors... When you're on a plane, the comforting certainty of either you're going to land alive or dead should put your mind at ease. You know, sit back, read your favourite book, have a flick through the times. (laughs) One way or the other, you know how this is going to end up. Yeah. There's no mystery third option. You're not going to land on Mars. You're going to be somewhere that you want to be or you have no idea where you are because you don't exist anymore. Yes. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and I do worry about all of that stuff when I leave the house. Being in flight is one of the few times when I actually feel that sort of certainty. <laughs> There's a whole other show to be had about that particular fear of going out the house. We can talk about that some other time. It's fine. Yeah. So then um, this experience caused you to think about the nature of flying. And why, not necessarily that you're afraid of it, but why an experience like that could affect people in the respect that someone might not necessarily have a fear of flying, but they have a bad experience like that and they never want to go on a plane again. Even though they landed and they were fine and it was just a bit of turbulence, that might be enough for them not to really want to go on. You know, it it was a displeasing experience. They don't want to go on a plane again. Yeah. We can't really have any exact science to this, but let's make an ass out of each other. Let's assume Mm. that most people who have a fear of flying have a fear of flight. That may well be in an aeroplane, but it could equally be in a helicopter or some other method of of being in the air. But they've never actually done it. So, So the idea of it is the thing that scares them. They've never had the experience, but the idea of it does. And that may well be from the physics and it also may well be their idea of what it might be from things that they might have seen on the TV or things they've heard from other people's experiences. Sure. Uh, I know that you had a thing or two to say on the physics of it, because let's face it, you say anything hover in the air and you start to wonder how that's even possible because we've spent our entire life being stuck on the ground. We're quite comfortable with gravity. We know that things are attached to the ground and that makes a lot of sense. So anytime you see anything fly, you wonder how the hell it, it stays up there like uh, bumblebees and also planes. 
Yes, bumblebees, very specifically bumblebees and planes are the only two things I can think of that fly at the moment. Oh, and birds and butterflies. Butterflies are the weirdest thing because they don't really even seem to fly. They just sort of bobber anyway. But we're not, we're fascinated by most of them, but flying scares us in planes for some reason, doesn't it? And I think that having said that it seems weird for all of these different reasons because it is quite a a certain thing and a specific thing it's also one of the most rational things that we can be scared of i've got this fear of clowns and i have no idea where it comes from i've never been hurt by a clown as far as i know i might be suppressing some memories but they're relatively harmless even though just thinking about them now is is terrifying me a little bit being in the air in an aeroplane, just the whole thing of an aeroplane, does seem like an inherently dangerous thing. There's, there are lots of dangerous parts to it. They're big, they're made of metal, they're moving very, very fast. If one was driving along a motorway, you'd want to stay out of its way. You know, We don't even really like driving alongside trucks, and they're quite small compared to most planes. Actually, this is another thing that interests me, we can cope quite well with trains, And that doesn't seem to make any sense to me either, in some ways, because they're gigantic metal things that are moving very fast, and we're relying on engineering to keep them going where they're going. So these are are all quite dangerous things. We are putting an awful lot of trust every time we get in one that it's just going to work. We don't necessarily understand how it works. There's a lot of aviation fuel involved, which, you know, you're sitting on top of most of the time. Yep. So that's quite terrifying. The taking off always feels relatively safe, but landing is one of those things, and I do really enjoy it, but it is one of those things that seems quite risky, really. It's not something you'd usually choose to choose to do, trying to land something that heavy going that fast on a limited stretch of road. It isn't something we've been doing for very long. As a species, we've only been doing this, well, for about 100 years, probably a little bit less than that, Yeah, which is crazy when you think about it when you think how huge a part of our lives it is now. And I think a really basic primal level, our back brain just doesn't get it. Depending on what you believe, we either came out of a gigantic garden or some other thing happened, or we came out of the water and skated along on our bellies for a few millennia, and then we became, like, then we were climbing around in trees and all of that stuff. I came out of my mum. That happened too, (laughs) more recently than all this other stuff. Oh, okay. You're talking back then? Oh. Yeah, way back. Even before you got put into your mum. <laughs> Even before then. To cook. We've been on the ocean for thousands of years. We've kind of been moving fast across the surface of the ground for thousands of years on the backs of horses or just, you know, running really fast. I believe the ancient Greeks had uh, rudimentary roller skates and skateboards as well because they pretty much invented everything. They did. Scooters as well. Scooters, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the Italians. (laughs) Spokey-dokies. What's a spokey-dokie? You've never heard of a spokey-dokie. No. There must be this minor age gap between us that that meant that this wasn't part of your zeitgeist as a nine-year-old. Spokey-dokies were these little plastic nodules. They were spoke jewellery, effectively. They went on the spokes of your bike wheels. And as the wheel rotated, the spokey-dokies kind of went up and down and battered against the rim of the wheel. And so it would make a little clattering sound. Not the same as like the playing card sounding like a motorbike. It wasn't quite like that. The effect was a multicoloured wind chime for your bike. Brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned the playing cards. That was the extent of what we had when I was growing up. Because I grew up in 1950s Maine. 
at least that's what I always remember when I remember my childhood because I've read and seen far too much Stephen King on screen. But so, yeah, we haven't been in the air for all that long. We've been thinking about it pretty much for as long as we've existed, I think. We've always been intrigued by birds, by the idea of flying, stuff like that. But the notion of being up in the air is still really surreal for so many of us. I think that's why pilots are so sexy. They face that down. It becomes so normal to them and they're in control of all of it that there's something that makes them seem almost superhuman because... They've conquered the sky. They've conquered it completely. Yeah. Another notch on the bedpost. Um, They are, strictly speaking, right at the front of this gigantic metal tube full of aviation fuel and meat and bits as well. So they're really in the most risky spot. uh, A colleague of mine tried to explain to me that actually my whole theory of uh, dying instantly if you crash is wrong because there was a TV programme on the other night where if you're sitting towards the back somewhere, in many of the cases, the uh, safety dummies survived relatively unscathed. This is the um, very expensive and several years in the making Channel 4 programme, is that right? I guess it might be. Yeah, Yeah, I hadn't hadn't seen this, but I had heard about it. The thing that struck me as interesting about the conversation I had with my colleague is I had just given him a perfectly good reason why I am not ter- I was not terrified about getting on this plane, <laughs> this little plane and going to Jersey. You know, it's not a set of logic, a rationalisation that, that works for everyone, but it works fine for me. And yet he was trying to insert this little bit of doubt. I think he was almost trying to reassure me, but that doubt doesn't help me because if I think too hard about it, then there's the possibility that you are going to be the guy who ends up strapped into his seat, surviving in a piece of burning aeroplane that crash lands into the ocean and you're not sure if you're going to drown or if you're going to burn to death. That's not something I need to be thinking about, really. So I don't I don't know if if my colleague was intentionally trying to uh, to freak me out. I don't have a flying phobia. Putting one in my head probably isn't a great idea. Being in a plane is quite an unusual experience, and and it is pretty surreal. It's one of those things that I don't think understanding it from the point of view of being a passenger, I don't necessarily always think understanding little details of it really help with uh, nervousness either. For example... I didn't know that planes actually change their shape and the wings actually change their shape when they're in flight. Yeah. Because I didn't know that, I'd never noticed it actually (laughs) happening when I was looking out at a wing. But now that I know that, I'm lucky because I know it and I look out at the wing and I see it changing its shape and I find it fascinating because, as we've already established, it's not death I fear so much a long and lingering and painful life. So seeing the wings change shape I find absolutely fascinating. But I imagine that if you'd never noticed that before and then had it drawn to your attention and you were already a little bit nervous, that would terrify you. Yeah, I think the worst thing anybody could do who hadn't been on a plane before and who maybe felt fearful or unsure about the experience is to do any research whatsoever. Mm. It's to ask other people what it's like to fly, is to watch TV programs or films or even even do as as you just mentioned there, just doing too much reading into the science of it. You're building all sorts of expectations which really don't exist. The only experience that matters is the experience you have when you're in that plane. Whatever you do, do not preload on other people's experiences even. I'll tie this into uh, Life Partner Jane's experience earlier on this year because we went to Edinburgh for a few days for a little break. 
and she had never flown before. And we were looking at the pros and cons of travelling up either via train or via plane. There was no way I was going to drive. I don't fancy those sorts of long journeys if there's another method. If you, I don't know, if you were visiting family or if it was some sort of road trip or whatever, it might be worth it. But if you've got a finite amount of time and a finite amount of resources, I don't want to spend more of that time travelling. If I can just do a couple of hours goofing around on a plane and then I'm where I need to be, I'd much rather do that because then I've got more valuable time doing something in Edinburgh than I do behind a wheel getting stiffer and stiffer driving a car. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's, that's by the by. Because Jane had never flown before and was very nervous about the idea of flying. She asked me and she asked other people what it was like to fly. And I said, to be honest, you don't notice it. Mm. You are sitting in a carriage and you're hovering in the air and you really don't notice it. The only time that you know that you are flying is if you look out of the window. The, the only moments where you really notice anything's happening is during takeoff and landing. And that feels like a theme park ride. It's got yeah. a very similar experience. The acceleration and the takeoff feels like a theme park ride. The landing and the kind of the juddering around is kind of, it feels like a theme park ride. And, and these things have been done millions and millions of times. This is well rehearsed, so you don't have anything to worry about. So the only thing that might be of concern the first time you experience it is turbulence, because until you experience it the first time, you don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. You automatically think it's a problem, but you soon realize that that's just, that just comes with the package. She seemed okay with that, but as I said, the only way you'll really know for sure is by going through that experience yourself. She was nervous about it, but she seemed okay with the takeoff and she seemed okay with the landing. The thing she didn't like was actually being in the air because she's scared of heights. Everything was okay as long as she didn't look out the window. Oh, but that's the best part. No, I understand. For me, it's the best part. It wasn't so much the fear of flying as it was just being up really high and not being able to do anything about it. Ordinarily, you have a choice about being up high or not. Do I climb all the way to the top of this thing, tree, building, pole, ladder, whatever, or do I not bother? And you can exercise that. There's no real necessity that puts you in that situation. Whereas you really want to go somewhere, the best way of getting there is flying. Well, I guess you're going to have to get in the plane. Being nervous of flying because you haven't done it before, absolutely fine, but there was no fear of flying involved. I'm looking at a list now on Wikipedia. It's like an encyclopedia, but it's on the internet that talks about the causes so, of the so, fear of flying. Hang on a minute. You can find things out online. There's like a knowledge base or something. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of pictures of cats. Um, there is a lot of pornography okay. on the internet. But if you sort through all of that, there's this place called Wikipedia. And it, it's kind of like the Encyclopedia Britannica but um, it's better than that because anybody can put stuff in there. If you take all of the people in the world or, or on the internet and you add all of their IQs together, yeah, it's like having one person with that IQ oh. uh, putting all this, putting an encyclopedia together. So it's really good. Um, the fear of aeroplanes or the fear of being on an aeroplane is brilliant because it's called teramerhanophobia, which is great. I like it because it sounds almost like a fear of pterodactyls. Or a fear of Hanoi. Yeah, and, and this actually says one of one of the causes, the first cause, is fear of crashing. Not so much fear of falling, but fear of crashing, uh, which most likely results in death. That's the most common reason. But a fear of heights is like acrophobia is one of the main ones that's in there. And I find that really interesting because I'm scared of ledges. I'm not so much scared of being up high. 
I'm scared of being too close to ledges. So I always feel quite safe in an aeroplane because there's like a window there and it never occurs to me that there's not very much between me and lots and lots of air. Yeah. That's bullshit. Of course it occurs to me. I just don't really let it bother me. But yeah, ledges bother me. One thing that was interesting is I think it'd be more scary for people if they really thought about how fast you're actually moving while you're up there. Because while you're up there, it seems really peaceful. As you said, it feels like you're in a carriage. If anything, it feels like you're moving slower than when you're in a train because the ground's moving or what seems to be moving away so slowly underneath you. It's only really when you're landing and taking off that you really register any sort of speed, I think. And fear of speed doesn't seem to be one of these things. Fear of vomiting, that can be pretty gross. That's the slight concern I had. And I admit it did bother me a little bit about the flight back. Fear of having panic attacks in certain places where escape would be difficult and or embarrassing. Mm. Agoraphobia. That's an interesting one because a lot of these fears aren't so much about being in a plane. As you said, with Jane's situation, they're not really about being in a plane. They're fears that are with you probably all the time. Fear of hijacking or terrorism, well, I mean, those are both terrifying things and we should be worried about them because they happen to lots of people all the time. And obviously in this country in particular, we've become very vigilant about terrorism over the last few years, haven't we? Yeah. And fear of turbulence. Do you know the thing that doesn't bother me as much as turbulence, that bothers me slightly more than turbulence, is when the plane just suddenly appears to drop out of the sky for a few seconds. Yeah, had that. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? I like that. Um, And a fear of flying over water or night flying. Now there, that's interesting because the only thing that makes me slightly nervous is when I'm flying over water that you might be stuck in a plane that has managed to actually pull off a landing on water. And that would be much worse if I was on a ferry. Far, far worse if I was on a boat or something like that. But yeah, so there are just an awful lot of things that all come together in flight. An awful lot of different elements. Lots of things that we're probably terrified about a little bit all the time but suddenly we're faced with them. Maybe it's the boredom. <laughs> You've mentioned that it's like just being on a, in a carriage. Yeah. In your case, you're not driving, so you're not having to think about that. Yep. It's, it's literally the, the, an hour or two hours or 40 minutes or whatever where you have nothing to think about, uh, you have nothing to do because you're in somebody else's hands completely, and that's when your brain starts ticking away. Maybe it's our brains that are the scary thing. I guess it's probably more acute on um, shorter flights because on a long haul flight and I've been on some pretty long haul flights. I've flown to uh, the States. I've flown to India. They're both like eight, nine, ten hour kind of experiences. So there's an awful lot of time to kill. Some of that you may be able to do with sleeping. I've always found it terribly difficult to sleep on planes. But there will be in-flight entertainment. So there's all sorts of films and TV shows and things you can watch. You've probably got a couple of books or whatever. So you've got ways to pass the time if you so choose. Some people might not be able to do that and find themselves in that situation where they're just really bored or fidgety or they allow themselves too much time and space in order to think, which if they're not entirely happy about being on a plane in the first place is a terrible idea. Those short haul flights where um, maybe you're up in the air for 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour and a quarter, a a brief period of time where some of that time you have to have your seatbelt fastened anyway during the takeoff and landing process. So it's not like you can get up and go for a stroll or anything like that. You're going to get halfway through a newspaper if you're lucky. You know, you're definitely not going to have a kip. So a lot of the time you are just sort of fidgeting and looking out the window and waiting for the thing to land. I guess those are the times when you'd probably feel more nervous because there isn't anything that's promising to distract you for any length of time. (laughs) 
outside of the idea of being on a plane or having a poor experience on a plane, what other things would influence us to be scared of going on a plane? There's a lot to be answered for in the disaster movies that came in the 70s to the point where Airplane was made to send up the disaster movies of the 70s. There's something very attractive about these tales of disaster and and we look at Alive and Final Destination in terms of flight, Titanic being a clear example and the Poseidon Adventure before it a clear example of disasters on the water. What is it about like stories like that that just seem to glamorize disaster and, and perhaps be the routine for a lot of people who haven't been on a ship or haven't been on a plane? I mean, it's a terrible indoctrination, isn't it? For sure. I mean, you end up, uh, Poseidon Adventure is a good one because literally every everybody who lived in England and had a Christmas rather than going into hibernation will have watched <laughs> those films loads of times before and without even necessarily having been seen a boat in real life or anything like that and the interesting thing is there are all of those airport films there was a whole series of films called airport through the 70s and i think there might have been one in the 80s which was a concord specific airport disaster movie uh, they were called airport but they were all set on airplanes which was interesting and you're right those are what airplane actually sent up and the thing that you made me think of when you mentioned that is those are interesting because they're all about quite epic disasters they're not just about jets failing or anything like that they're like quite bad things that have happened on air flights but they're all quite prolonged and people do actually end up quite a few people end up surviving them normally which is interesting because i think your main things that are going to go wrong you might get hijacked doesn't happen very often but it might happen or the plane might fail and crash it's less likely that there'll be a killer bug that attacks everyone, that everyone gets infected with on the plane. Or snakes. On really long haul fl- or snakes, exactly. These are things that are less likely to happen. But in a disaster movie, traditionally what happens is you don't just get the one big disaster that everybody has to deal with. Because traditionally the way they work is you're introduced to like a dozen people and those people have to be picked off one by one. And they can't all be picked off by the same thing. Yeah. So you have to come up with every single possible thing. So one of them will get uh, sucked out of a hole that's appeared in the side of the aeroplane. But eventually, you know, someone will have to get sucked through the toilet while going for a toilet. Yes. And they'll have to get pulled out the bottom of that. Someone will be concussed or have their head removed by something coming out of the hold lockers above their heads. Yes. One of those will flip open and then, you know, a dumbbell or something strikes them. Yeah, well, that happens quite a lot. There's always at least one person now, since uh, since special effects have got to the point where they can do this, there's always at least one person who quite early on floats up really fast and, and gets knocked unconscious or killed by the roof of the aeroplane. Yes, yes. That happens a lot yeah. now. And I haven't been on many flights, but the most dangerous thing I've ever experienced on a plane was actually those things that they push the food in. Those things are really heavy. And I was on a flight where one of the ladies pushing them around slightly lost control of it, wasn't really paying attention. And there was a child kind of hanging out across the aisle. And I, for a moment, thought if that child doesn't get pulled in or that lady doesn't grab that thing, that child is going to be severed in half. (laughs) And luckily that didn't happen, but it could have happened. And that isn't something I've seen in, in one of those films. And curiously enough, the child would have tasted much nicer than the airport meal. Yes, well, no, that's possibly true. Because airport meals, the only thing worse than them is hospital meals, eh? Eh? Yeah. God, eh? blimey. Eh? Imagine being transported somewhere in a hospital bed in a plane. 
that'd be like the worst thing ever. The food would be awful. It'd be like eating English food. That's a little joke for people who come from other countries if they're listening. Good. Because apparently we do really rubbish food. Yeah. Why aren't I dead? <laughs> don't know. Um, the thing about disaster movies, there's something vicarious, and like horror movies, there's something vicarious and exciting and quite a relieving about being in that situation and getting to survive it through the eyes of a survivor, if there is one. But along the way, what they basically show you is everything that a screenwriter has imagined could go wrong on a plane or a train or a... Automobile. Um, automobile or any of those things. <laughs> So if you are the sort of person who's susceptible to suggestion, and most of us are, of course you're going to get stuff stuck in your head, aren't you? The, the, my favourite air disaster in a film, though, was in Final Destination, and that starts with people surviving it. It's real life that gets those people. They survive the air crash by not being on the plane. I find that's yeah. the best way of surviving air crashes. Definitely. Yeah. I've survived many. I... Um, in my lifetime that I know about have survived uh, a few. I, do, I don't need to name examples, do I? But I can think of at least four or five in the last ten years that I wasn't on, that I've managed to survive because of it. I've survived Challenger. Yeah, no, I wasn't on that either. That yeah. was quite a, a lucky... That was a close one for us, wasn't it? We dodged, dodged that bullet. Oh, and I haven't been shot either. That's another thing I've managed to avoid. <laughs> But it, it is ridiculous, isn't it? I'm looking at one of the things I was thinking about, but I'm just reading this Wikipedia page in the background, which is kind of bearing it out a little bit, is um, that, yeah, statistically, it is a relatively safe way of travelling. You are far more likely to get seriously damaged driving around or being on a motorway than you are in an aeroplane. But the way we report things is we tend to report plane crashes a lot when they actually happen. Probably because they're so rare, right? Yeah, and they're quite dramatic as well. I yeah. mean, they are quite rare, yeah. And um, One thing, you are statistically more likely to die in on the road than you are in an aeroplane, but you are statistically more likely to die in a plane crash than you are to be in a car that gets hit by a plane that's crashing. That's a much rarer way of dying on the road. You raised a very interesting question earlier before we started about we are fascinated by flight and we dream about flying and they're not scary dreams. No, not at all. I um, I was thinking about what it is about flight that fascinates us and, and one of the things that sticks out to me is how frequently as I was a kid and growing up that I would dream about flying. The dreams would differ. Sometimes they would be your traditional sort of superhero, I can fly wherever I like sort of a dream. And then others were sort of weird states of weightlessness where I would propel myself off the ground, but um, it wasn't a jump. And then you were falling with style because you could sort of propel yeah. yourself in a distance, but you knew you'd hit the ground and you'd have to sort of leap into the air. It was sort of clumsy, but... The idea of being able to fly in some form or fashion was never frightening in these dreams. I'd always wake up afterwards going, oh, I had a dream about flying. That was pretty cool. I like that. Again, total guesswork. I'm going to imagine those sorts of dreams of flying that even people who are scared of being in a plane have are probably still pleasant and enjoyable because they come from some other aspect of their psyche, I, sh I should imagine. But it strikes me that that's more irrational 
<laughs> if we actually flew like birds or superheroes, yeah, that is a more comforting thought somehow. Perhaps because we're in control of it. Perhaps that's the difference. Because we, we you know, if we were capable of, of, of flying around like Superman, at least we'd be in control of it. Whereas when you're in a plane, you're sort of handing over responsibility to someone else. I think that's absolutely it. When you dream about flying under your own power and when we fantasize about flying under our own power, it's about freedom. And it's all about being in control ourselves. And I think one of the things that is most scary, aside from how dramatic the whole thought of air flight in a plane is that you have very little control and it's uncertainty. You're entirely relying on the two guys at the front of the plane. And that uncertainty and lack of control exists around us all the time, the rest of the time. Mm. There are lots of ways that individuals can impact on your life in a really negative way like i was talking about bus drivers or whatever earlier on (laughs) but it's never as focused or as intense as it is when you're on an airplane but it it is strange because it is something that we've kind of always wanted to do the oldest uh, story i can think of about people flying was uh, the daedalus and icarus story Although that one's really about hubris, that's about getting too big for your boots. But the thing that we always forget about the story of Daedalus and Icarus, I think if I'm remembering it right, is that that's about two people flying under their own steam, but one of them doesn't crash to the ground. He doesn't fly too near to the sun and crash to the ground. He gets to watch his son do it instead. So really, that's a story of, it's it's half about success, it's half about success and half about learning the right tools for the job. Yeah, no, definitely. Wax turns out not useful in certain situations. It's interesting because though that story originates in Greece and you'd think it was too warm for that to work anyway, but never mind. I mm. mean, maybe they're in the shade for most of it. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I true. need to remind myself of that story a little bit. Could have been early morning. Yeah, and it got hotter as the day. They they should have what they really should have done was made sure they observed their siesta, but they didn't. So it's these startups. So I think we've established that you don't need to be scared of flying, but it is quite rational. It is quite a weird thing. Yeah, it's understandable. I keep using the term rational because when what I really mean is understandable. The uh, fight or flight mechanism and a lot of the fears we have, they're not strictly rational. They're just there to stop us. They're just there to help us avoid things that might be a bit dodgy. They're not necessarily based in rationality or anything, are they? I think the fears, you know, the concerns or the fears that fall into this class of fear of flying, they're either reasoned or heightened states of caution. You shouldn't really be too high or you shouldn't give too much control to someone else or whatever. You can sort of understand where each of those come from. You know, you feel what's best in, in terms of how comfortable you are with height or, or being in an enclosed space or knowing you're not going to vomit. And some people will want to be in control of that more than others. And, and that's probably where it comes into play when there's so much that you do have to give away when you're going to be on a plane. I guess that might be why I'm relatively immune to fear of that when i'm scared of so many other things that actually one of the things i'm most scared of is that i might fuck up and get myself (laughs) hurt in some way so it's actually a relief yeah indeed please please yeah pilot the plane take me somewhere i I, i'm very pleased for this to be your responsibility i'll just sit back here and read you uh, take care of this flying business you're doing a great job nice suit by the way 
<laughs> for for a really long time, I was scared of the dark, and I know that's quite a mundane one. Mm-hmm. My bed used to face the window, and there were curtains, and I was equally as scared of stuff outside the window as I was stuff behind the curtains. And I'm pretty sure that it was mostly fear of vampires. I don't know where I picked that up in particular from, because my main experience of vampires at that point would have probably been Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. I used to watch those late-night Universal films on Channel 4 in the olden days. Mm-hmm. And Abbott and Costello, that wasn't really very scary. But then at some point, my dad showed me and my cousin a film called Threads. It was like a docudrama about a nuclear attack on Sheffield. I've heard about that. I haven't seen it, but I have heard about it. Yeah, it's quite realistic. It has, it stars Reese Dinsdale as a person in Sheffield when a nuclear bomb hits Sheffield. You can buy that on Amazon, by the way, if you want to watch I've, it again. I, yeah, I, yeah, well, I don't think I need to, because <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't really revisited it. But for the, the next longest time as I, that I can remember after that, in my memory, it's actually two or three years, I didn't sleep very well, because I became convinced when I woke up, the world would have ended, there would have been a nuclear war. Mm. And I think, I mean, I don't think that's uncommon in kids who grew up in the 1980s. But in my case, it was almost obsessive i wouldn't really even think about it much during the day when it came to bedtime i'd put off going to bed for as long as possible switching the light off for as long as possible and i'd actually be scared to go to sleep because i thought that the world wouldn't be there when i woke up but then if the world wasn't there when you woke up then you wouldn't have woken up no well exactly and and logically i realized that later on i think that's probably (laughs) how i ended up dealing with it i think that's where my slightly fatalistic side comes from i figured well you know if it's going to happen i i'm not going to know about it oh Um, i'm scared of waking up dead i don't want it to happen (laughs) (laughs) sorry to mock your your uh you know very valid fear no it's fine i probably won't start crying so it's okay not right now um but but the, the thing about that is that at first obviously i was just scared that it would happen but I think at some point that must have transitioned into it's me going to sleep that is going to trigger this off. I maybe wasn't that rational a kid, but you kind of know that, well, if it was going to happen at five in the morning, then you staying awake till five in the morning isn't going to stop it happening. It's going to happen anyway. I must have decided at some point that it was me taking my eye off the ball that was going to make it happen. Yeah. The biggest issue with the programme is it follows people who've survived and their life seems really shitty. So I think what I was scared of was that I would wake up and everybody else would be dead, but I'd still be on my own. Yeah. But, I mean, in all fairness, if they were going to make a TV movie of people who died, it would be quite short. Yeah, no, that's true. Exactly. I think having seen films like I Am Legend and stuff like that, the idea of just getting some peace and quiet now... (laughs) Quite appeals to me. And when that eventually gave way, I think I would have been hitting the sixth form. I was starting to think about how woefully unprepared I was for the rest of my life. (laughs) I didn't even know the half of it then. I just just remember, and this isn't so much a fear, as the amount of times through my teens, and this sounds so teenage and angsty, but I still have a very clear memory of it, and I still sometimes think it every now and then. I never really felt suicidal in that way that really emotional teenagers are supposed to feel. But the amount of times I can remember thinking, this is just too much. There are too many fuck-ups. I'm clearly not capable of living in my teen years or in my early 20s or whatever. I kind of just want to be 80 on my deathbed and looking back at all of this. So I think at some level I was actually quite scared of the immediate future. Not the far-flung future. I love my science fiction 
I could handle the far future. I could handle us uh, all being in flying cars and like driving around flying cars and being replicants and stuff like that. I just really was uncomfortable with having to make all of the choices that would get me there. And so in the end, what I did throughout my 20s, the way I handled that is I just didn't really make any choices. (laughs) (laughs) And it all seemed to turn out okay. I just washed up from one thing to the next and it worked out fine. I guess, I don't know, now I would say to that little guy, look, just think about it. Don't be so scared of nuclear war. All of these people who are assholes that you're having to deal with on a daily basis, if there was a nuclear war, they would die. Although, strictly speaking, I've come to realise that if there were a post-apocalyptic situation, I'm probably not that well equipped to to cope. Yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure how solid the advice was. You know, oh, paint your windows white and seal some stuff up and then find the room that's in the most centre part of your house and form a den with mattresses and cardboard and stay there. And after a couple of weeks, everything will be okay. (laughs) Everything will be under control. Yes. Yeah, and that's it does sound a bit sketchy, doesn't it? It does. Yet I guess we were so prepared to... Well, I say we. I mean, we were both incredibly young, so we weren't Mm. necessarily um, aware of the leaflets or the advice that they were giving. But um, because perhaps the fear was so present, the level of scepticism was much lower. But well, now that I think about it, we probably saw less of the propaganda than we did the, the, of that safety propaganda than we did of the films like When the Wind Blows and the Threads yeah. movie I was talking about that told you, no, actually, it's all going to be fucked. So, yeah, you probably don't want to survive, actually. You probably want to be in the first wave of people who get killed. So, yeah, there you go. I, a nuclear war is perhaps way more irrational a thing to be scared of. Than <laughs> you are less likely to be killed in a nuclear war than you are uh, in an aeroplane. Which is a wonderful, wonderful thought to carry with you next time you're waltzing through an airport. Oh, just about to board a plane. There's a greater chance of me dying in this thing than there being a nuclear war. Comforting thoughts, especially for those listening to this podcast (laughs) while in a plane. I wonder if we have fear of flying to thank for uh, Kim Jong-il not really making an effort to take over the rest of the world as well. Because he wouldn't be able to visit it. He wouldn't be able to visit it. What's the point of having it if you, uh, if you can't visit it? Huh. He has a, he has a train. Well, <laughs> he doesn't anymore. <laughs> yeah, he would travel by train to visit China if he, was, if he was making a diplomatic visit to China every now and then just to go, we're friends, right? It's quite difficult to invade anywhere by train though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they sort of know when you're coming. Yeah, exactly, because you, you have to build the rails and stuff first. Yeah, and then you've published uh, a timetable somewhere as well, so it's got, well, it's got to be either that one or that one. They're the only two today. Anyway, boring grown-up domestic tales. Mm-hmm. How very mm. exciting. No, that was that's no, that was okay. I understand that. We are boring. boring. Looking how this is going to go well. We are boring grown-up domestics. So... Domestics? What does that even mean? Domestic people? Fucking hell. What a nightmare. Wow, this is going to be a fun one to edit. <laughs>